0: You know what a lot of people do for this 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 to line up the tracks? No, what do they do? They clap at the same time. Oh really? So we'll go three, two, one. Three, two, one. <laughs> you were like behind <laughs> me. <laughs> I'm not very good at rhythm. Hello, everybody! You are listening to Limited Time, the board game podcast, where we bring you board game reviews in 30 minutes or less. Or the next episode is free. Except we haven't done that in a long, long time. <laughs> yeah, it's been a bit. And we're yet. not doing that today
1: either. <laughs> yeah. We're not paying attention to the time limit today. No,
0: yeah, our, yes. our mission statement has just been thrown to the curb. Yeah, um, standards be damned. Yeah, this is our post GenCon 2020 episode, our post GenCon online episode. Um, Jason and I have not recorded since like late February, early March, or something like that. So it was we did, before your kid was born. It was after the our our, our child was born. We we did the special hundredth oh. episode. Yeah, um, that's right. Yeah, and and then before the child was born, we we did uh we did like you know our last regular episode where we just did a review in thirty minutes or less and everything. But then we did mm-hmm. our we did our. Uh, We played uh, "Blood on the Clock Tower." Oh yeah, two times, and that was our hundredth episode. That was five months ago, uh, and we took time off so that I could get my life straight with the new child and everything. Because now we have two kids instead of one, and that's exponentially more difficult than just (laughs) one. Uh, And then, in the meantime, uh, the world fell apart. (laughs) Yeah. Hey. Yeah. There's kind. Kind of a global pandemic going on. Uh, I said pandemic, not pandemic. I don't plandemic, want anybody to think yeah. that I'm like <laughs> a conspiracy global theorist global or anything. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so it's been a little difficult to get together with a gaming group and try out new games, uh, you know, to play stuff that's not just something that I'm going to play solo or cooperatively with my wife. And so it's been difficult for Jason and I to like pin down what games we would both play. Uh, to be able to talk about on the podcast, you know, and we've yeah, talked about like other uh, formats, like you know, each bringing games to the table to talk about and everything, rather than playing the same thing, other things, right? We, we've come up with different ideas, but ultimately, yep. GenCon was the thing that finally got us to come back downstairs and you know start recording or upstairs. Twenty twenty is days. a
1: hot pile of garbage.
0: Yes, it is. Twenty twenty. Twenty twenty is definitely a, a one on the d twenty.
1: <laughs> critical fail. Yes.
0: Yeah, it's a total critical <laughs> fail. Yep uh and and people say this every year i feel like it's like oh god this year was the worst year ever but you know like i can't wait till it's over and then it's always a worse year the next year except for probably 2019 that one seemed okay for the most part i think except that i had to like drive all night yeah, that Gen Con <laughs> sure. Anyway, we did Gen Con online. So they did not do Gen Con in Indianapolis at the Indianapolis Convention Center like they normally do. Instead they had a bunch of events virtually online using different virtual platforms for playing games like Tabletopia, Tabletop Simulator, Board Game Arena. I think there was a couple other ones in there that we we didn't touch those other than uh Roll Twenty, which is used for role playing games. Yeah. Um and Jason and I played uh, like eight games eight official no seven official games it looks like uh through the gen con event planner and i think we're going to talk about that a little bit today i thought maybe we could also talk a little bit about the different digital platforms that we tried out and what the strengths and weaknesses of those things are sure. um and then maybe at the end if you guys aren't tired of listening to us and you want to just stick around and, and just kind of like listen to us sort of like have a post-mortem on what it's like having a digital gen con in general versus a regular gen con i thought maybe we'd talk about that a little bit too yeah. Sounds um, good. Um yeah, I'm gonna run down the games that we played and then we'll just kinda go into them a little bit, you know. I was thinking, this is the first
1: year that we've ever done like every event we bought a ticket for.
0: That's true. Usually we end up kind of bailing on like one event a day, maybe. maybe. Usually all of Sunday. Uh you know, because we get tired or we, you know, like decide we're gonna we wanna go shopping or there's something we hadn't picked up that we wouldn't need to go shopping for or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, usually something gets missed, and and that was one of the big differences this year, was that we managed to make every single event that we were signed up for, and we managed to fit in a couple things that we played on our own as well, which I didn't even write down, um, Escape the Dark Castle, but that's another thing that we could talk about on oh, here, because yeah. we, we <laughs> did try that. Um, but anyway, the official Gen Con events that we played were Roleplayer, Fort, Under Skies, Seven Souls, Zulkin, Endeavor Age of Sail, On the Origin of Species, and then in between all that stuff, we also managed to get in, uh... Escape the Dark Castle, and also we played two games of Twilight Imperium, three player. Uh, yes, so it was a big as well weekend. As two RPGs, <laughs> yeah. As well as a uh, two RPGs, yes, that's correct. Yeah, um, but anyway, let's let's just talk about these games a little bit um, and, and how, what they're like briefly, and, and how we like them briefly, okay, we, we, we won't go as in as in-depth as we typically do with, like, a 30-minute episode for one game, but role player is a game where you are basically creating a character, like, for a Dungeons and Dragons adventure, um, you know, the beginning of any sort of role-playing adventure typically starts with the players creating their adventurers, and that is the entire point of this game, you're basically, like, getting randomly drafted, um, like, a race, uh, or I guess you can pick, probably, um, it was like a, like a, like a class, and then, like, some sort of background or something, right, uh was it something completely honest i don't remember a whole lot about this yeah it was the very first thing we did and we only played it the one time but um and and essentially what you're doing then is is those different parameters kind of give you certain goals to try to strive for like if you're a rogue you want really high dexterity for instance you know if you're a bard obviously you're going to want really high charisma obviously like everybody out there knows what you know bards (laughs) need um and, and how you do that is there's a bunch of dice in the middle of the table, and you take turns drafting those with people. And it comes down to, like, you know, trying to put certain dice in certain places on your character sheet, which then activates certain other abilities that allow you to manipulate the dice further, which then gets you closer to some of the goals you're trying to get to. Um, oh, now I remember this. It's the one with, like, the grid. Yeah, the and grids are, like,
1: like, the dice in the right, the color dice in the right location. Yeah, there's there's different colors like, of
0: dice, and they, they have like, to go in certain spaces to get the points. And they have to add up to
1: a certain score.
0: Right, yeah, like, you yeah, need a okay. deck score of, like, 18 above or whatever, and, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, like, one of the one of the, the things I ran into was I was playing a rogue, and I needed high dexterity, but I was also playing uh, a race that had a penalty to dexterity, so it was almost <laughs> impossible for me to get to that to that score that I needed in order to get the points. Um, yeah. So, you know, I went for, like, different things. and um, But there's all kinds of different ways to, like, you know, um, score points. Like, you can also... There's also cards in the game that you, you collect, and there's, like, set collection involved. Um, and, and there's all kinds of different mechanics for manipulating dice and cards in this game and the placement of those things within your character sheet to try to score points. Um, and it's competitive, and at the end, everybody kind of adds up the points that they got, and, you know, like, the highest point wins and everything. There's even, like, sort of a uh, an alignment uh, grid that, that, like, you know, certain cards that you take or play will move a little cube around on this alignment grid, and by the end of the game, you want your alignment cube to be in, like, one particular spot in order to score a certain number of points, and you lose points if it's in another, in another spot. Um, you know, and there's all kinds of different ways within the game to manipulate that stuff. Um, and so that was the very first thing we played. Um, and how did you like it, Jason? Uh, it was okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not, uh, I don't know, it wasn't terribly
1: exciting. Um, it's sort of, it reminded me a little bit of, uh, what's the game, uh, with, of Azul, which I actually really like, but if I'm gonna play a game that's sort of, like, fantasy-inspired and you're gonna give me an orc, uh, like, I forget what I was, like an orc wizard or something, um... Like, I want to play an Orc Wizard. I don't want to, like, push dice around and try and put them in the right <laughs> slots.
0: <laughs> yeah, and, and this game has kind of had my attention for a few years because I've seen it on store shelves, and I've been like, well, that kind of looks neat. kind of like to check that out. And then there was a, like, role player Adventures game that was on Kickstarter recently that is exactly what you're talking about. It's like kind of taking these characters, you can import the characters, but it also comes with, like, pre-made characters, and just going through, like, you know, um, like, collected books that are particular adventures that you go through. I'm guessing that there's, like, you know, dice rolling involved as well as, like, you know, choose your own adventure choose your own adventure style sort of choices and things like that. Um, yeah. And that really caught my eye, but I figured I should try role player first to just see if I would want that game to make the character to import, because if they put that mechanic in there, is it is playing role player a big enough deal to want to import those characters into this other game? And I think ultimately at the end of that question, the answer is no, like, <laughs> like playing role player was fine. I didn't hate it. You know, it yeah. was an okay time. Um, but I don't feel like you would need to start a adventure game by doing that.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like there wasn't a whole lot of adventure involved.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I mean, there's standalone games, so you don't need to have either one for, you know, to, to enjoy the other. Um, but, you know, in my mind, when I saw that they can connect, I thought, oh, well, you know, should they? And so, you know, I really felt like I needed to try this out to see if, uh, if I thought that they should. And I think the answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, next, we played uh, a little game called Fort. Which is, I think that if there was one game that was getting a lot of buzz on the internet this year, it was probably Fort. And that is because it is being published by Letter Games. Letter Games is the publisher that published two years ago, Root. Which was sort of like, you know, the biggest board game in the world for, gosh, like a year, year and a half or so. Um, yeah. And, you know, everybody loves Root. Uh, you know, some people liked Vast prior to that um they have recently done a kickstarter for another game called oath which is supposed to be quite complicated but fort is a smaller game um i think a much more manageable game than any of those it's not asymmetric in the way that root is um it's pretty much like a uh like sort of like a what is it like an a, a resource management game basically um in some ways
1: it's, it's sort of like a hand management game yeah yeah um, cause the cards are like, so the suits of the cards are sort of what matters and there's like seven different suits or something.
0: Yeah. I mean, the conceit of the game is that you're a bunch of little kids, right? And you are using these cards to like a fort that, uh, is supposed to be better than all the other kids' forts, right? And there's like all kinds of different named children in the game that are the cards in the game. And, you know, the idea is that you're trying to entice them to come to your fort and play with you, right? Because your fort is cooler or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so, like, there's a mechanic in the game where, like, if you haven't used one of your friends that turn, (laughs) um, to make your fort better (laughs) or whatever, right, yeah, um, (laughs) like, you know, they, they come out in this yard in front of your fort, and your other friends can entice them to come over and play with their fort, and so then they go into their, their discard pile or their hand or whatever. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And like there's certain abilities on each card that you can use like to like upgrade your fort level or to get some toys or get some pizza or whatever which are the resources in the game that you use to upgrade your fort and I think do other things but like you know and then then there's something like do other things like allow you to like make a permanent resource that you can always access for your own abilities and in addition to that um, when you play a card other players have an opportunity to play on one part of your card as like a follow along ability so like you know, sort of like in Twilight Imperium where, like, there's a primary ability and a secondary ability. Um, that's sort of, like, what's happening here is, like, you've got a primary ability that's only available to the person that played the card, and then there's, like, a secondary ability that's available to everybody. Um, I guess in that way it differs from Twilight Imperium because you can't use your own secondary. But that's that's some inside baseball in Twilight Imperium, which we're not talking about, unfortunately.
1: <laughs> yeah, and that's sort of where the suits come in is, like, you can only follow on the, the player's card if you can play a card of the same suit.
0: Yeah. So, like, um, if I played a glue card, and Jason really wanted to play on my my public ability, he would have to play a glue card to do that. He couldn't use like, you know, a I don't know what were the other suits, like a shovel card or whatever, right? Uh, like a skateboard. Yep, yep. Um, there, um there's several others. There were a bunch of others. There's a wild suit, so you can use that for anything. Oh yeah, the um, uh, the the coin. Yep, yep. Um yeah. yep, and you you kind of go through that game and and whoever like there's a certain point value associated to every level of your fort. Um and there were several other ways to score points within that game and gosh, it's starting to escape me now cuz I've slept several times since we played it and we played a bunch of other <laughs> stuff. Um but ultimately, how did you feel about Fort at the end of the at the end of the game, Jason?
1: Um I I liked it. I liked it a, a lot. I mean, it I it was it, it, I don't think I put it in my top 3 of the games that we played, but it was definitely like
0: not the worst, and I had a, a pretty good time playing it. Yeah, yeah. I think I feel pretty similarly. Like, like at the end, I was like, I liked that better than Role Player, But, you know, like, I didn't feel the need to, like, immediately pre-order it or anything. Even though, like, you know, yeah. it's like, it's a pretty cheap game. I think, like, it's 30 bucks from the retailer, right? And, and it's probably even cheaper than that from the discount retailers and everything. Um, mm-hmm. But it just didn't feel like something that with a very full library of board games, I'm not sure where it fits for me personally, you know? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, especially if you're running out of space like you and I both right. are. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if if you're um, building or in the middle of building a board game library, I could see this being like a really good a really good value, right? Because like it packs a lot of games oh, yeah. into a little box for like, you know, a little price and everything. Sure, yeah. I mean, and it, 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 I mean, even though it wasn't it didn't make a huge
1: impression on me, um I, there were some th- like really interesting uh points in the game where I had to make some decisions where I was like Oh well th- th- this is not something I've <laughs> I've been enc- I've encountered before yep. it was like I had a really valuable card that I couldn't play and instead of putting it out in my yard for other players to take I could I could trash it, um, and so I basically sacrificed this really valuable card because I couldn't keep it, and I didn't want anybody else to get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, so I took it out of the game. Like,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Think, I was thinking like, about denial as an important part of the game, and, and you know, like we we ran into some interesting combos and stuff like that in the game. So, like a, a lot of very interesting moments, a lot of very interesting sort of puzzles. You know, like order of operations in terms of like you know what order you uh, you you execute some of the actions on your cards that matters sometimes. So. Um, you know, like, like uh, not the puzzliest game, not the heaviest game or anything, but I I would say like just enough that it's very satisfying when you pull something off that makes you feel quite clever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, we enjoyed it. Um, definitely thumbs up. I think like if it looks appealing to you. Also, it's got the, uh, art is by Kyle Farron again, the same guy that did the art for Root and Vast. Um, is it Vast? I always get confused because it was Trove for the longest time. Um, Vast and Root uh, and Oath, I believe. I'm, I'm Actually, I'm not 100% positive about that, but if you like his art, it's very charming, and so it's got that as well going for it. So um, Next, we played what is considered a solo game called Under Falling Skies, but we played it as a cooperative team of four because it's difficult enough that you might want four brains to try to succeed at it. Oh, for sure.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Uh, uh... Yeah, that was one of the weird things is, like, usually when we demo these games that are meant to be single-player games and they sort of shoehorn, like, two or three people in there, it really kind of uh, waters down the experience, but I didn't get that impression this time.
0: (laughs) No, this felt more like a, a heavy game of, like, Twilight Imperium or something where, like, everybody's staring at the board and different people are seeing different things, you know, like, different opportunities and calling those out or different you know, different consequences maybe even uh, of certain decisions that you make. But I mean, essentially what you've got is like a game that looks like Space Invaders, the video game, where you've got this long, <laughs> tall, narrow board that has uh, like six lanes in it or five. I can't remember. Um, like, And they're basically columns, right? And there's a mothership at the top of the board and all the way down to the bottom, there's like, you know, the ground and it's like your base basically. And each there's like a bunch of different spaces within the base that activate certain abilities. But. Every time you activate one of those abilities, and you do so by placing a die that you've rolled onto that thing, um, it moves the the spaceships within that column down a number of spaces equal to the the value of the die that you place. Now, the value of the die also allows the 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 action that you select to have a certain value. So you're 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 constantly taking you're constantly doing this calculus of like, now how many points do we need in order to activate you know like in order to move up this research track we need to move, but also how many points do we need to move this is this alien spacecraft onto a space where we can blast it out of the air, right? And then, like, you know, and, and if we use that die for that, then how do we make sure we've got the right value for blasting the spaceships? Because that needs to be a specific value. Um, and so there's all these different ways to manipulate the dice. Like, there's two dice that allow you to re-roll all the other dice if you put them on, you know, before those dice have been placed. As well as, like, uh, certain places on the board that just allow you to, like, you know, move the dice value down or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, it becomes this very heady puzzle of, of, you know, uh, deciding whether or not you've got the right resources in the moment and what you can do with those, as well as whether or not you're going to take a risk at, like, you know, kind of re-rolling those resources and seeing if you get something better or more fitting for your specific situation. Because, you know, occasionally you're going to want, like, you know, like, a, like a, a six-sided die, right, which might give you, like, tons of research or tons of energy or something like that to run. Um, or, you know, tons of attack power, right? But it, it also might move one of those ships All the way down into your base, and then you take a health hit or something like that, right? Or you might just need a one there so you can move uh, one of the bad guys in a position to attack them uh, so they don't move too far, right? Like, so sometimes you want lower dice values even.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, And so, Um, you know, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, like,
1: uh, there was a lot about this game to like. Um, I think the mechanics, as they put them together, are... Uh, really really interesting and very intricately interwoven and it forces you to make a lot of like really intense decisions (laughs) even though you're just sort of drafting dice and placing them in certain spots to make things happen um you there the range of choices feels more varied than just that short description yeah um the flip side of this for me was the it's way too thinky for me. <laughs> <laughs> like I don't typically enjoy games that are puzzles like that. Um, it, it puts too much, you know, taxation on my brain and, and I, I get frustrated. That,
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> It, it, it's exactly my kind of jam, though, right? Like, that's the sort of thing. Oh, yeah, I, you'd love it. Yeah, I love that sort of thing. I mean, that's that's what I love about Spirit Island, you know? Like, like it's very similar where you're, you're really thinking about this order of operations and how it's going to play out in the end, where you've got to be thinking about how all these different parts are going to move together um, at every step of the process, you know? Um, and it's one of those. So, I mean, like, if you're looking for something that's solo capable and, and is very a very thinky puzzle in the same, like, you know, like Spirit of Spirit Island or other games similar to that, right? Um, then Mm -hmm. this one is very cool and it's something that um it's been a print and play up until now and they're going to be uh, a check theory check 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 games theory yeah oh check games edition check games edition yeah uh they're going to be producing a professionally a a professional version of it and i believe it comes out within a couple months actually the guy that was running our demo told us it wasn't going to be out until next gen con but i was looking and it looks like it's up for pre-order already on um online retailers and it looks like the 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 release date is currently slated for october i believe um oh, wow. so i won't be surprised if i end up with this at some point um I, I think it's very cool and and for somebody that does some solo gaming i think it's like you know like kind of a perfect perfect thing so
1: mm-hmm. yeah yeah uh, yeah so i'm somebody that doesn't typically enjoy playing solo games either so yeah i mean i liked i enjoyed playing it with you and, and gabe our friend who joined us but Um, but I don't think I, it's something that I personally would really get into. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, next we played a game called seven souls. Yeah. So this game
1: was kind of interesting. Um, so again, this is another one of those games that like at the time I played it, I was like, Oh, this is pretty good. And then in the aftermath, I'm like, I can't really remember a whole lot about, (laughs) (laughs) um, so you're going to have to help me. I remember the cards and like having to place them in certain places.
0: Well, first of all, the theme is Cthulhu, just to get right, that out yes. of the way, uh so that <laughs> nobody, you know, like roasts us for that. Um but the 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 game is um it's it's sort of in some ways it reminded me of like um well, okay, so you've got a hand of cards and each one of those seven cards basically is going to dictate what actions you take in the round. And you're going to get to play three of those every round, right? There's three locations on a board and you play one of your cards to each one of those locations. And the cards have like sort of like a, a priority number on them for ordering where you're at within the execution of the cards in each location and then each one has a certain number of actions that you get to take if you get to take those actions. If you happen mm-hmm. to put down a card that has the same priority number as another player, then you have a battle, right? And you've got like sort of a separate deck that has a bunch of um, Cthulhu cards in them, which just count as misses. You fail basically Um, and then there's like occasionally some other cards in there that have like either it's like these eye symbols and either there's like you know one eyeball or two eyeballs on them and those are successes and so you're going to be like like and you there's another resource
1: too like you can get power throughout the game and you can contribute power points right yeah to 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 try to to try
0: to improve your ability to or your improve your chances to beat the opponent that you tied the value for right and so you you each draw one card off of your deck after shuffling and then if you got a Cthulhu, you fail, right? If the other person also got a Cthulhu, you both fail. But that means you both win, kind of, because then you both get to take the action, right? Um, but yeah. if one person wins and one person fails, the person that failed doesn't get to do that action at all. The only thing they get is they get the winning card that the other player had, and they put that in their deck. All your Cthulhu cards come out of your deck after you play them. Um, so, in fact, every card that you play comes out of your deck when you play it. It just, If it's a good card, it goes to somebody that you beat, essentially, making their deck better. Right um and and your deck just got worse essentially. So it's sort of this like self-balancing mechanic within the game. It's just that I happened to hit some situations where it never seemed balanced for me. I was getting beaten like every single time and I had a I had a deck that had like 10, you know, like powerful cards in it and like four Cthulhu cards, but somehow I kept pulling Cthulhu cards. Um which was very <laughs> frustrating. Um I think I only ever pulled one non-Cthulhu card. <laughs> Um, yeah, but I mean, like... I, Wait, I was, Thankfully, I, it was at, like, a clutch moment I for was, me,
1: so that was great. But, but I had
0: the <laughs> thickest deck out of everybody at the table because I was specifically building my deck to do that because one of the things that you can do in the game rather than just fighting the other players is there are three investigators at each of the... Well, there's one investigator at each location for a total of three. And you can go and you can fight that investigator, and if you win, it's worth a bunch of points at the end of the game. And I really wanted to grab one of those investigators. I really wanted to have a fight with one of them because I'd kind of built my deck to do that. And, you know, like, incidentally, I'd also built my deck to defend myself myself from other players where that didn't work out and then i because that didn't work out i never got an opportunity to fight any of the investigators either which was kind of a huge bummer for me um (laughs) but you know ultimately um you know like the cards allow you to do things like grab more power grab more cards grab more resources fight an investigator or give one of the other players at the table one of those cthulhu cards that makes their deck you know worse essentially um and so you you go through uh several rounds until um you know Two types of resources are completely exhausted within any one location, and then the game ends, and you count up your points based on how many of the sort of, like, you know, the, the victory tokens that you got through the game that you get just by using your cards, um, and, and, like, any other, like, secret goals that you had, like, everybody can get, like, a secret goal and everything to, yeah. uh to To try to aim for, like mine was to have the fewest number of to- of uh, victory point tokens, um, but there's all kinds, right, like there's like, have the most cards in your deck, have, you know, like the, the most bad cards in your deck, uh, you know, have the highest number of victory point tokens, all kinds of stuff, right and so everybody like, you know, adds all that up and then whoever has the highest point total wins yeah, yep and it sounds like Jason it was just kind of like not memorable for you in the end.
1: I mean, I thought it was like I real I re- I remember playing it and enjoying playing it even though I was sort of not winning and and yeah. st- doing actually pretty terribly, but um but I remember at the time thinking, "Oh, this is interesting. I like how this this card mechanic works." Um, you know, I like the sort of I kind of liked the battle idea. Um Kind of like you, I was a little frustrated with that aspect of it because there was no way to, sort of, I don't know, I, I, not make it a short thing, but like have a have a good chance of winning. Like the odds always seem to be not in your favor. <laughs> it feels that way, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It does. Um, and I and like you, I never got to battle with the one of the investigators, which really put me at a disadvantage points wise. Yeah. Um, so, so at the time I remember liking playing it, I liked some of how the mechanics worked, but afterwards I'm realizing now it's like, I don't remember a whole lot about it as compared to some of the other games that we played.
0: It's, it's a weird thing because I feel like I was enjoying 80% of that game, you know? Uh, And then there was like another 20% where like, it was a huge drag for me and, and that just kind of like (laughs) sours the experience just enough that like, I wouldn't necessarily make a purchase, you know? Um, yeah. but it's a game that I want to like because it does a lot of things in, in a very unique way, and I really like the art, and I really like the guy that owns the company that the designer that was running it. Like he was super cool and everything. Um, and yeah. you know, like I, you know, sometimes you come out of these things, you just kind of want to support somebody, but um, I just don't know that I would ever get this to the table, honestly. Um, like it's it's it, it can be a very mean game. Um, but it is a very yeah. unique, and, and it has some neat. Ne- Original ideas in it that I think is worth celebrating for sure, and I really liked the art style. I owned, really like the art. Cute. Yeah, it's it's awesome. It's like a very comic booky take on Cthulhu. Um, it it kind of reminds me of like the uh, I don't know. Are you familiar with Penny Arcade Online? Mm-hmm. Uh, the the uh, the the artist for Penny Arcade. It kind of reminds me of his style. Um, which I which oh. I've always kind of appreciated. Um, so anyway, that is Seven Souls. Next we played a an older game, uh, Zulkin. Which is a worker placement, uh, agriculture sort of game. Uh, Do you want to describe Zolkin, Jason?
1: Uh, Sure. So the idea is that you're uh, part of the Mayan Empire... The Mayans? Yes, the Mayan I was Empire. hoping you and remembered,
0: because <laughs> I didn't want to say the wrong thing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it is the Mayan. Actually, I think the subtitle is is the Mayan calendar, okay. so it, I'm, pretty, yeah, <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's Mayan. It's, um, but basically, you're, you're running the Mayan Empire, and you're managing your workers, um, and trying to gather various different resources by placing those workers um, on certain... Wheels. There's like five. I think there's five different wheels on the yeah, board. Yeah, they look like gears. Like um, they have
0: teeth. You know, like like yeah, a cog. yeah. They're
1: big gears, yeah. and then there's
0: one huge gear in
1: the middle that, when you turn it, it it rotates all the other gears to the next spot. Um, so you place your worker on a spot on a particular gear, and you can leave it there for however many turns you want. Uh, and as it sort of, as the wheels rotate, um, you can end up having different actions to take depending on where your worker lands. Um, at which point you can take it off the board and then take that action. Um, and so it becomes this this game of trying to say, okay, I want to leave my worker until it gets to this particular point, um, but if it comes around to my turn, you know, I either have to place a worker, which costs corn, a resource, <laughs> um, and if I can't do that because I don't have enough corn, I'm going to have to take a worker off the board. So you may not get what you were planning to get by leaving it on there, uh, sometimes it can push right past it because there are other mechanics where other players can advance the wheel uh more than one click per round. Um, so you might it might push you right past the thing. Um and that's just one part of it. There are also several different tracks that allow you to advance on like a technology route, uh to ascend different temples that give you certain bonuses at certain levels, um, and to build buildings, uh which for the most part I think are sort
0: of like um, I think the buildings are mostly like new functions and and in some ways like you know allowing yeah. you to score things that otherwise wouldn't even yeah, be scored so, yeah like i built one that made me
1: only have to feed like half my workers or something yeah, like that yeah i think that. i took one of those too that made me like it gave me a free feed yeah. on one of the workers but i mean if you if you really get it going you know get your engine going or whatever like those those monument cards in particular seem to be a lot of points you know they're sort of like end game constructions that sort of add on to your total yeah. Um, although I could never, it seemed I was always, like, hovering around just enough corn to be able to manage to feed my workers without having to starve. I definitely (laughs) felt strapped for
0: resources the entire game. Like, I never felt like I had a plethora of anything, right? Like, sometimes you run into an issue in Agricola or other resource management games where you suddenly find yourself with, like, you know, some huge stockpile of one resource, right? And that never Mm -hmm. happened to me. Maybe it's just because it was our first game and we weren't playing, you know, as uh, efficiently as maybe we could had we known the game better. Um, but I definitely felt like I never had quite enough to do everything I wanted to do. I was yeah. never sitting on a stockpile of anything, for sure. Yeah, same thing.
1: I mean, it, I to be honest, that happens to me with a lot of these kind of worker placement games. Mm-hmm. Like, I always feel like there's so much more I wanted to do by the time the game ends.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure, yeah. This was <laughs> definitely one of those. But I also felt like I really liked it. Like, Like, I... It was one of these games where, like, at the beginning, it's very intimidating and very overwhelming because it's very symbology-heavy, he- sure. right? And yep. and we'll get to this later, but, I mean, like, the format that we were playing on was not exactly the best to just sort of, like, visually understand everything that was going on and, and learn that symbology. Uh, but, you know, by the middle part of the game where it was starting to click for us, like, it's a pretty quick-moving game, pretty quick-moving turns for most of us. And, uh, you know, like, there's a good... There's a lot of good points where you have to make a hard decision, you know, where it's like, OK, I really need to leave this worker on for like one or two more clicks of this wheel. But mm-hmm. I also really need a resource right now to do this other thing. Also, if somebody takes this thing over here, they might move the wheel two clicks when I really need it to only go one. And that's going to really screw me over potentially. Right. Um, yeah. like there was all kinds of different sort of like decision trees where where you have to make a tough decision. And I think that makes for an interesting game, as long as there's still satisfaction to be had when things don't necessarily go the way you had planned. And I feel like this mm-hmm. game did that pretty well, right? Like, one of my pet peeves in a game is when I'm, like, there's something I really want to do, and then it gets taken away from me, and there is no good, there is no good thing to choose from afterwards, right? Um, there's no good yeah. plan B. But in this one, it always felt like there was at least a decent plan B, even if your plan A got kind of ruined.
1: Yeah, yeah. I kind of feel the same way. It was—I uh, never felt like there was a turn where I sort of wasted what I was doing. Yeah. 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 Um, even though it becomes increasingly difficult to plan ahead.
0: Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. yeah, very satisfying. Very satisfying actions. Very satisfying. Sort of like you know, um, when your when your plans came to fruition, that was extremely satisfying. Uh, and I think that other than the 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 format that we were looking at, having looked at some real photos of the game, um, it's pretty 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 gorgeous game right i mean like it it, i would love to have that out on a table in front of me the gears look really cool um you know the the artwork looks like pops it's very vibrant um i i'm very interested in this game (laughs) (laughs) this is probably like you know my my the the game that i'm the second most interested in maybe like you know getting acquiring after having played a demo of it at, at the gen con online so
1: yeah, I've been interested in trying this game since it came out in 2012, and I just never got around to it. So I'm really
0: glad I got to play it because I I really I ended up really yeah, enjoying I really it. it. I really liked it. I I think that this is a very cool game. Um, you know, like in some ways, it's borrowing uh a lot of mechanics that other worker placement and you know, um, you know, man, resource management games have done, but it, it just puts enough of a spin on it. Um, that that's a gear joke, Jason uh (laughs) sorry yeah that it feels unique and it feels fresh and and the sort of like you know the sort of puzzle that you've got to think about about the timing and everything about like you know these these workers are going to mature at some point into a different type of resource or more of that resource or whatever um you know agricola doesn't do that you know like it's just like you know put the people where they go you get the thing right this is put the person where Mm -hmm. it starts and then choose what thing you're going to get from that person as he moves around the wheel right um, yeah. And that, that feels like the unique spin on this thing. And, and it works really well. It's very effective. Yeah, for yeah, sure. So Zulkin, uh, huge thumbs up from me, and it sounds like a thumbs up from you as well. Yep. yep. I liked it cool. a lot. Okay. Uh, second to last uh, of the official games was Endeavor Age of Sail. Now, this is a game that was on Kickstarter, I believe. It was a, a remake of Endeavor from 2009, I think. It used to be a Z-Man game. But now it's being published by Burnt Island Games, and oh, they've got like a co-publisher, and I'm sorry, I can't remember who it is. Um, But we we kept dealing with Burnt Island as far as like the people that were running the game for us. So I just that's the name that sticks in my head. Um, But but this is a game where you are doing sort of like Euro mechanics in order to send out um, you know fleets of ships to trade in other parts of the world. Like, you know, the, the idea is that this is a colonialism game. Like, the idea is that you're starting in Europe <laughs> and you're kind of, like, spreading out this network of ships and, and shipping and, you know, uh, taking over areas and things like that, you know, like doing actual colonialism, as well as building right. up your sort of, like, home base with, like, different, you know, powerful buildings that allow you to do more things. Hiring more workers, you know, getting more wealth so that you can pay those workers. Um, So that's the that's the idea behind this game. And you do this basically by, like, you know... Um, drafting the buildings that allow you to take the actions, so like, you know you, I may have completely different actions available to me than Jason does, um, and then placing the workers that you have on the buildings and then is also placing workers out in the world in order to like, it's almost like you're placing two workers per action often um, one- I mean, you can ideally you could place as many
1: workers as you have, it just depends on how many like place a worker options you have right in your, in your building tableau. Right, low. and
0: sometimes you might get, like, a, a little token off the board that allows you to take an action without having a building for that action, like, as a one-time bonus yeah. sort of thing. So there are times where you can place... Uh, a a worker out, you know, like, to take over a fort or to, like, go do a trade or shipping thing out in the world without having somebody, like, you know, kind of on the other end of it, like, at a building. Um, But for the most part, you're placing one worker in a building and then you're pairing that with a worker that goes out on the board somewhere to actually do the thing. And they end up, like, you know, taking a spot that often has, like, a resource or a bonus action on it that comes back to you. And then that often moves one of four resource tracks up at home, which is sort of, like, your resource engine that you're working with, as well as the thing that allows you to get, like, uh, higher-level buildings in your town that are more powerful. Um, And so it's got this really satisfying um, ramp as far as, like, the number of things that you can do throughout the game and and how efficient those things are. Um, Like, you might start off with, like, you know, just one building that allows you to, say, like, go do one trade, essentially, right? Um, But then, like, you know, by the middle of the game, you might have a building that allows you to do two trades instead of one for the same amount of workers, right? Um, mm-hmm. And by the end of the game, you might have something that allows you to do, you know, like uh, the two trades, and you can also blow somebody's fort up or something like that with a cannon, right? Um, <laughs> and and essentially, you're trying to get all of your your sort of like resource tracks up as high as you can because those are worth a bunch of points at the end of the game. But also, your presence out on the board matters because if you um if you pair forts, like you've got like two adjacent forts occupied, uh, there's a point value in between them that is going to come to you at the end of the game, and so you're trying to have as many sort of paired forts out on the board as possible, um, also sometimes gives you more of those bonuses, um, and then in addition to that, there's like, you know, there's rules for, like, having the most presence in certain areas, and then, you know, that allows you to take, like, governors back to your, to your town, and have them, you know, like, allow, give you, like, you know bonuses, there's card drafting in the game, there's a bunch going on, but, and it's another one of these games that looks kind of overwhelming at first, but it's actually pretty simple once you get going. And I found it very yeah. enjoyable, like, sitting down, and, 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 and it worked very smoothly, very elegantly, the way all the different parts work together. And it was so satisfying to feel that curve, that curve of power and ability just, like, you know, like, gradually ramp up through the game.
1: I ended up really enjoying the game as well. I think... Uh, I think I would like to play it again because I I think a lot of my issue with it so like one th- one problem that I kept having was that okay we started the game and figure out okay workers are things that you need to do actions so I was like okay so I'm going to get a bunch of workers <laughs> but you can't use those workers unless you have specific buildings that allow you to use those workers to do actions yeah. and so I prioritized getting workers and then it came around to my turn and I had a pile of workers that I couldn't you do. just anything had a bunch of sleepy boys, just
0: like taking a break. Yeah,
1: yeah. So I, th- I mean, and that was just a product of me like not necessarily knowing how the game worked. Yeah. So like now that I know a little more, I think I'd like to try it again. Um, but, uh, so there's a little bit of a learning curve, at
0: least for some people, (laughs) apparently. Yeah, I I, I think I was doing quite well at that game, but I think I, initially I kind of lucked into it because I didn't really understand the ramifications of, like, taking extra workers, which I did, but then I also managed to get, like, you know, like an extra building somehow or something like that that allowed me to use the extra workers early on, and, and that also helped it kind of click for me where I was like oh there's so much that you have to balance in this game and it's so important to have that balance in order to be as efficient as possible and so it really comes down to like balancing those tracks out you don't want to max one track out and just ignore the other three you really want to keep them you know like they don't have to be exactly in the same spot or anything like that but you definitely don't want to leave anything way behind because you're going to end up really kneecapping yourself at the ability to like have so many cards back in, in in your home base or you know like not enough buildings to allow the workers to go and do stuff, right, or not enough workers to take advantage of all the buildings. Um, like, yeah. all of that matters, you know, and, and ev- even yeah. the wealth track, which allows you to get, like, higher level buildings is important, because you need those higher level buildings in order to take advantage of certain things. Um, yeah. So, like, the, the, it's it's very well thought out how all of that stuff fits together and needs, to, you need to make sure that you work it together in order to succeed at that game, and I found that, I, I found it so enjoyable. This was my favorite game that we played uh, that was new to us at Gen Con, so...
1: Um, yeah. Um, what, it's one of my favorites of the weekend, too. One thing about it, though, is that the theme can be kind of off-putting. <laughs> um, it's, I mean, it's a, a game about colonialism. There's, you start in Europe, people go to different parts of the world and colonize them for their resources. I mean, that's just it. And and on its face, like, okay, you know, that's a thing that happened in history, um, you know, and and it's not sort of... Just by itself, it would be, you know, fine. Um, But they add this element to it where you can basically take slaves um, to boost your production. Like, taking a slave card basically gives you a a huge boost in certain resource tracks. Um, And they try and make it okay by eventually, uh, at some point, slavery will become abolished. Can become abolished. And then... Well, can become abolished, right? Um, and at which point, any slave cards that you've taken impact you negatively. I mean, it's a pretty big penalty um,
0: because all of the benefits that you got by those cards go away, right? So, like maybe your maybe your entire uh, resource tracks have gotten up like three quarters of the way, and a lot of that was because you took those slave cards. Well, now all of that comes crashing down, and you don't get any of that benefit anymore. In addition to the negative points that you get for having slaves
1: yeah um so it's a mechanic in the game i i felt a little icky about it um to the point where i like i was severely behind and and one of my options was oh i could take a slave card and i was like no nah, i don't want to do that right you know <laughs> i just felt weird about it um i mean i think it's handled in a
0: in an okay way they, and they were they don't gloss over anything. they're attempting to they're attempting to not ignore it, right? Like a lot of games do, you know, like you like, like right. you got Puerto Rico out there with just these little brown discs that work your fields in Puerto <laughs> Rico, colonists. right? Yeah, the colonists, right? right. Yeah. Um, they're not <laughs> trying to gloss over it. They're trying to say, yeah, this happened and we're not ignoring it. Also, we're showing that it's bad, right? Like, yeah, you can get like some really easy, uh, you know, like, and even like, you know, sort of powerful bonuses from taking this route, but there, there should and could be consequences for it at the end of the game, right? They're trying to show that, you sh- like, you know, like taking this option is is ultimately bad, right? It it leads to a downfall. It leads to somebody being punished as they should for for, you know, like en- engaging in slavery and everything. Um, But that doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. mean the game is going to play out that way. You know, by the yeah. end of our game, I kept saying, Jason, Jason, you've got to, you know, undermine Gabe by abolishing slavery. You've got the presence in Europe. You can do it. And you were just like, no, nope, I've got these other things I got to do. And so slavery did not get abolished in our game. Um, you know, yeah, I'm also the abolishment of slavery, like, historically speaking, is not it wasn't a
1: punishment. Well, yeah, (laughs) I mean, they just sort of transformed it into other institutionalized
0: forms of racism.
1: That is true. Yep, (laughs) so it's not a little, it's not like really accurate, but I get what they're, yeah. I
0: mean, as far as like gamifying slavery in a game and 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 showing not ignoring its existence and also trying to trying to make it reflect negatively on itself, right. Um, yeah. that was their attempt at doing it, and, and I don't think there's been very many attempts and very many games to do that, right? No, um, no. Most games handle it pretty poorly. I mean, like, I, I, I haven't played, um, Freedom, the Underground Railroad game, but I've read that, and this kind of surprised me, that, like, most of the, like, characters in the game that kind of, like, help you free slaves in the game are white. <laughs> what? I'm pretty sure I read that. I mean... Okay. Don't hold my feet to the fire on that. We should probably. I've tried to get us to play that game several times, and we never have. But, um, that that's a game that we need to play. But I mean, like, it, it, that's just like you know, that was a game that was like you know, hey, this game is like acknowledging slavery and everything. But even it has some problems to it. You know, is is what I've yeah. read. Um, so you know,
1: I. So anyway, your mileage may vary with this kind of thing. If that's if that's offensive to you, it, if it's I, a hang
0: up or you know, like yeah, if it's a hang-up, yeah. like. That's, a deal that's completely fine. I get right, it. Right, exactly. Um, but mechanically, I really like the game. Um, right. So, yeah, that was Endeavor, Age of Sail. <clears throat> the final game that we had as an event was On the Origin of Species. The Darwin game. <laughs>
1: Which sounds terribly boring.
0: <laughs> ah, maybe, yeah. You want to describe it? I mean, come you wanna on. You want to describe it, Jason?
1: Sure. Sure. Um, so, basically, it's a game that tries to... Uh, I mean, I don't know how accurate, I don't think this is terribly accurate, but it, it sort of <laughs> follows the the progress of the HMS Beagle, which is the ship that Charles Darwin was on, as it traveled through the Galapagos Islands, cataloging the various species, species, <laughs> species, yes. and uh, which eventually led to his book on the origin of species the by the process Darwin of natural selection, by, which uh, talks Sean about Connery. evolution, <laughs> right? Species. Um, yeah so I mean I, so it's about the origin of the theory of evolution essentially um, and basically <laughs> what you're what you're doing is you're there's these um, there's these tiles that represent different species of animals um, and each tile pro- <laughs> provides a certain type and number of resources there's three different resources in the game I think there's like feathers jellyfish and leaves leaves else. oh leaves that's right um and so basically what you do is you place these little research tokens um on one of these tiles and then you have access to like one of that resource if say you put it on a tile that gives you a feather then you have one feather that you can spend um, if it's a tile that produces three feathers and a jellyfish, then that one tile gives you three feathers and a jellyfish. So it's, um, so it, it, there's a ramping mechanic there. As you replace other species. Oh, God, why do I keep doing species. that? As you, as you replace uh, the earlier species with more advanced ones, um, the resources ramp up. And so one. Research token will get you more stuff. It's more bang for your and buck. And what do you use those resource um, tokens for, Jason? So then you take the resource tokens in order to research uh, and, uh, other species and bring them onto the board. So there's a, a basically like a market of other types of animals on the side of the board. Um, and you take those resources um, and you can spend them on getting one of those animals onto the board. The trick being that you have to be able to place that tile in between... Um, or adjacent to the tiles uh, from which the resources you're going to spend are coming from
0: yep there's like a positional Um, puzzle to the whole thing
1: yeah yeah so there's it's sort of trying to figure out okay what resources resources do I have in this area what can I buy with them Um, and you know this other thing on the other side of the board like I have resources there but I can't use that one because it's not close enough to the empty tile space I need and all this other kind of stuff um, and every time you research a new thing, you advance the, uh, the beagle along its track until it gets to the end of the board.
0: Yep. And if you're one of the people that manages to get the beagle to advance to three uh, preset spots at the beginning of the game, you happen to get like a little point bonus. Um, there's some cards in the game that some of them, when you get them, uh, you'll get them as rewards for putting certain species out on the board. Um, yeah, every time you
1: put out a species tile, there's more. There's where you get points for it, and then you advance the Beagle, and you
0: usually get any some number. Yeah, of cards. and the higher level the the species is that you put out, then like the more rewards you get. And so some of these cards would allow you to like do certain actions, like because there's the HMS Beagle cards that allow you to do certain actions, like move the cubes around, or you know, like um, I don't know, what, what did the scalpel do? I don't even remember, but like like a bunch of different. I don't remember what the scalpel did. Yeah, a bunch of like random different actions, as well as um, there are three colored decks. And you'll sometimes be told to, like, take two blue cards or take two yellow cards or whatever. And there's different, um, were there actions within those decks too? I remember the big thing was getting books, like colored books, right? Yeah and like and, yeah. and I mean I there were also resources available in those maybe decks. That was it. And and you would you would at the end of the game you count up the number of each color of books you have and then they rank everybody and then like you know like first place gets so many points, second place gets so many points, third place gets so many points. Yeah. And that's part of the point totaling at the end, as well as like, you know, the number of points you got from putting species out on the board. Uh you get points for collecting tiles, which is what you get for like you can replace a tile with another tile, and then that the tile that you replace that comes off the board comes to you and is worth a point at the end of the game. Um certain yeah. players end up giving you certain points when they take your when they take your tile that you had cubes on each cube that you had on that tile becomes worth a point so like Jason got boosted quite a bit by us like taking a lot of the tiles did, that he yeah. was on Um and then you know like uh let's see we talked about the ranking and yeah there's just a certain number of points that you get from moving the beagle um and then also like you know just uh like you know getting getting the species out on the board you, you add all that up and you know winner's the highest points <laughs> And that's on the origin of species. That is on the origin of species. So
1: so what did you think about it, Jason? I actually really enjoyed it. I it was it's I thought it would be way more complicated than it was. It's a pretty straightforward uh game. It's pretty easy to learn. Um I, I thought that the you know the the concept was kind of cool. I mean, I'm I'm a history nerd, so that kind of really appealed to me. Um, and I thought the mechanics, at least some of the mechanics were kind of interesting. I thought the whole tile placement thing was, um, was neat. Uh, and the sort of unexpected boosts, like you can try and screw over your neighbor, but by taking this thing that they had tokens on, but at the end of the day, the tokens they had end up being points. So it's not like they're totally screwing you over. And and I liked that kind of mitigation of that. Yeah.
0: I I was trying to play like an HMS Beagle game where I was trying to like. Plan my turn so that I would move the beagle just enough spaces when it came around to my turn to get one of those anchor points that, you know, like there's only three of on the board and everything. I really wanted to grab one of those and I never got a chance to do it. Uh, Yeah, but it turns out that the points that you get from those are not. Yeah, it's not game breaking or anything like that. that I think I just wanted the satisfaction of doing it more than anything. Um, (laughs) And so like I felt I feel like I kind of spent more time than I should have thinking about that and not other stuff. Um, yeah. but you know, it was one of those games where like it's perfectly enjoyable. I think for me, it was like I like it, not necessarily like love it, love it. But um, you know, I, mm-hmm. I wouldn't turn it down if someone wanted to play it again or something. Um, one
1: of the things that we talked about afterwards was that we were more concerned with like getting specific animals yeah. that we thought were cool. I want that cool fish. The board I want that shark <laughs> rather than like snake. what we could actually afford. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was very much just
0: like you know, hey, I I like I want to put that shark I like out. cool animals, and I want to be the one that puts that one out on the board. Uh, which is not necessarily the best way to play a game, but not, not optimal, but uh... yeah, um, but it was fun. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, I like that game a lot. I I think it's a cool game. It does some, some neat stuff with the, the positional, uh, the positional puzzle that you're doing as well as like, you know, like trying to like get the right types and and numbers of resources and everything to put out the stuff that you want to put out. Um, and then in addition to that, it's got the cool layer where you're also trying to like, you know, maybe like worry about where the Beagle's at and maybe not doing it too early because that might put somebody else in a position to grab a few extra points. Um, so, you know, a lot of cool stuff going on there. Um, it just didn't grab me the same as some of the other games did. So probably not my top three, but you know, probably, you know, like top four or five, maybe.
1: It also probably didn't help that it was like 9am on Sunday. Eh, That's fine. (laughs) I'm used to being up early, so that didn't
0: bother me. (laughs) <laughs> um but anyway yeah that's the on the origin of species. Uh, we you know the only other two play the only other couple of board games we played were uh we tried um Escape the Dark Castle which is like has this like very black and white retro horror sort of art style to it where you um you have like a deck of cards and you got to get through like 20 or so of those cards. They all have like different encounters on them, very simple things where it's like you know this guy is going to attack you. It's a skeleton. He has this many dice and then every character has one die associated with them that has like certain um like uh certain numbers of three statistics on the side so like you know i was playing a miller who had like more of something than whatever you had right this is a very yeah. vague poor description of this game yeah. <laughs> but essentially it comes down to like a very thematic experience where you're trying to escape this very like you know like horrific like retro 80s you know like rpg horror style artwork castle and um it's really more about i think the atmosphere than the mechanics um, because the mechanics mm-hmm. are paper thin, you know, it's like like an inch deep. Oh yeah, but I think that they're just there to provide, you know, some sort of game to the thematic experience, and that I felt like was pretty cool. Um, like it, it was a, I mean I had it was fun, fun playing right? it, I mean it was a stupid exactly. quick game. Exactly, <laughs> we played it because it was like 20 minutes we had to kill a little bit of time before our friend came back for us to do another thing and it was the perfect filler game for that, I, I wouldn't like buy this expecting it to become like you know the thing I do every night with my wife or like you know something I get the friends over together to do on the weekend or anything, it's not a big enough game for that but you know as far as something to play like when you're just waiting for somebody to like you know go pick up the pizza or something, you know it's perfect for yeah. that, Um, so a good quick silly game that has, like, you know, a, a pretty good representation of the theme. Really cool artwork in it, so, you know, I thought it was cool. It was fun. It yeah. was fun enough, I would say. Fun yeah. enough, yeah, that's a good yeah. description. It was yeah, fun yeah, enough. Yeah. And then, yeah. of course, we played Twilight Imperium on uh, the Tabletop Simulator, and it uh, remains to be the best game there is, so. Ugh, <laughs> <sighs> uh, I still haven't won. Ah, yeah, that's true. Although, you know, we totally screwed those games up, so maybe you should have uh you know what i'll take comfort in that i'll take it okay so we were going to talk about a little bit about the uh the the digital platforms we used because there were three main board game platforms that we used over the weekend tabletop simulator which you buy through steam uh tabletopia which is available both through steam and they have a web-based application for it that you can use through your browser uh and board game arena which is entirely through the browser as far as i know um if you're not familiar, Tabletop Simulator tries to recreate entire board games in, like, a 3D space within within the game. Um, so, like, you can, like, move around a table, manipulate objects. It's kind of a physics simulator. Uh, Tabletopia does a little bit of that, but it seems a little bit more restrictive in terms of the physics involved and in everything. Um, like, it's more like click a thing, pick it up, not, like, you know, flick it across the table or anything like that, you know? Yeah, it's, it's more, like, scripted. A little. I don't know if I'd say scripted. I'd say it's almost more restrictive. Um, because it doesn't allow you to, you know, like knock things over the same way, uh, that tabletop simulator, like our endeavor game was ruined because, uh, one of the players, uh, accidentally held down both mouse buttons when he was dragging a piece, which puts it on the table rather than above the table. And he just like drug it through all of the components and just like scattered them everywhere. Right. That's tabletop simulator. Yeah. It's, it's there (laughs) to literally simulate the tabletop and all of the things on it physically with physics Whereas Tabletopia is like, okay, here's a stack of cards, you can click it and it'll come into your hand, but it doesn't allow you to like drag it across the table or do any crazy stuff like that with it, you know, um, it, it yeah. has more restrictions and what you can do with it essentially, but it is also trying to recreate the 3d space of the table and all the components and everything. So it looks very similar to tabletop simulator, but it functions a little bit differently. Um, And then finally, we played uh, Zulkin in Board Game Arena, Arena. which is a 2D representation of the board you're playing, not a 3D, and it's all within a browser window, and oh my god, does it look like
1: 1997. (laughs) Yeah, the graphics are real, dude. Yeah, so
0: I've seen some people prefer this to Tabletop Simulator and Tabletopia, because they just want like a flat you know, like, picture to look at because it's, like, easier for them to deal with than, like, the 3D manipulation of the 3D space, which I understand. If that's not the sort of thing that you're down with is, like, you know, moving with WASD around a table and then, like, you know, using the mouse to, like, manipulate things in 3D space, uh, then maybe Board Game Arena is for you. But we were playing Zolkin on this, this, this it looked like a compressed JPEG image from the 90s. Um, it looked... <laughs> yeah, everything was, like, real indistinct. Yeah, it was, like, it was really um, blobby, blurry. Yeah. Like, like it was really difficult. Like, the colors were way less crisp than they are in real life and everything. So it, it, it looked like playing a bunch of blobs. Um, I did not prefer it to the other two modalities. Uh, I found it... I found it a little finicky getting into the game um, and mm-hmm. I much prefer the 3D components that you can, you can manipulate within the other two, the other two uh, apps. Um, and I, I just did not appreciate how yeah. it looked so low res and blurry and like, you know, uh, Zulkin's already some symbol heavy and having difficulty making those symbols out just made it kind of painful <laughs> to play, even though I yeah. thought the game was brilliant. It's
1: that corner of fish. fish? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, the game
0: is brilliant, but playing it that way was kind of painful so yeah Yeah, i don't know how you felt about board game arena but i came away thinking if they're all like this if this is how if this is a if this is representative (laughs) of all the mods then i don't think i'm going to be coming back
1: (laughs) i mean i i can see the benefits of it from a certain perspective like if you're not if you don't really care about how the game looks um then fine um and it will certainly work better for some kind of games than other ones like a worker placement game sure why not um But uh, of
0: the three, it wasn't my my favorite. (laughs) Um, Tabletopia uh, is pretty good at replicating the look of a game on a table. Uh, uh, I'd say as good as Tabletop Simulator, I think. Um, It didn't have the level of scripting that Tabletop Simulator does. Tabletop Simulator allows people to script the games themselves. So, like, you know, add um, automation to it or, you know, like certain functions that maybe don't even exist, you know, in Tabletopia or something like that.
1: Yeah, but see, with with Tabletop Simulator, your mileage may vary Absolutely. like that. Like some of the some of the mods are completely yeah. unscripted. You just get a bunch of pieces, right. and they're like, okay, right. Play. And, and
0: that is because Tabletopia um, is endorsed by the game publishers, right?
1: Right. So exactly.
0: th- it's a little bit more um, even in terms of the quality of the mods in there, uh, and, and you can kind of expect similar function from all of the different mods within Tabletopia. That's the issue with Tabletop Simulator is that the the there's no there's no um, there's no homogeny between the quality of all the, the different uh, mods. Mm-hmm. Like, they're all done by people, like just random people that want to, and random people. But the people, you want to make a mod for Tabletop Simulator, you go ahead, right? If you want to go and you want to try yeah. to replicate your favorite game, you can do that. And you can put it in the Tabletop Simulator. And as long as the publisher doesn't find out and tell them that they have to, like, you know, take that down, it's going to be there, right? And anybody can play it. Um, whereas with Tabletopia, it's all endorsed by the game publishers. Those mods are not going anywhere. Um, whereas Tabletop Simulator, like, some of those mods disappear because the game publishers find out, and they're not cool with it. Other publishers find out, and they're like, oh, awesome, like, when we played Endeavor, that was a mod that had been made by, you know, like, someone that was unassociated with them, and they were like, yeah. well, this is great, let's use this, you know? And so, like, they were using it to, yeah. you know, try to get some attention for their game. Um, And that one was really well-scripted. It well was scripted. really well-scripted, and so was, uh, you know, and the, the other, th- the other example that we have of Tabletop Simulator being, like, a huge success is, uh, Twilight Imperium, uh, there's just a level of scripting and automation in that game that it makes it, in some ways, I think even easier to play, virtually than at the real table. You know. Well, I mean, the automatic setup is yeah, just a it's amazing. Um, <laughs> so you know, if you get if you get a game that has been well scripted and there's a lot of attention to it and everything, tabletop simulator is amazing. Um, it's just that you know, um, like like Jason said, mileage may vary. You know, like there's a there's a lot of variance in terms of the quality um tabletopia yeah it just depends on what mods tabletopia are little... seems fine most of the time we ran into a few glitches where like things were like falling through the table or clipping through other textures and stuff like that we couldn't see a card under the board at one point or like half a card was showing up when the other half wasn't <laughs> um it was a little finicky getting yeah. in but otherwise it seems pretty stable pretty fine um we had to play through the browser our our app that we were trying to get into rooms with through steam wasn't working over the weekend maybe that was just because the servers were under such heavy load yeah, or something it was
1: it was acting kind yeah, of weird
0: um Overall, I still prefer Tabletop Simulator because you pay for it once, and that's it. Tabletopia requires either a subscription or paying for the premium games to play. Um, right. But, uh, you know, Tabletop Simulator is kind of like the bread and butter, I feel like, and then occasionally you go over to Tabletopia for specific games. It's um, kind of how I feel yeah. about them, anyway. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much how we've always yep. used them. And I think this weekend just kind of, like, you know, reinforced our feelings on it. Yep. Yeah. The only other thing that I wanted to talk about today is just kind of the general experience. You know, we've talked about Gen Con before. We've done, like, our top ten things that we've anticipated about Gen Con, top ten things we love about Gen Con, stuff like that. And, you know, it always comes down to <laughs> we have a lot of stuff in those lists that's about the experience, you know, like being there, right, seeing yeah. all the people in cosplay, yeah. seeing all the nerds in their nerd shirts, you know, like the the experience of walking the show floor, of getting together with friends and playing in person and everything. And we lost all of that this year, you know. So, you know, and I've seen a lot of people asking questions like, how was it? You know, like, how did it how did it go as a digital experience? Like, was it was it a success? Um, How do you feel about that, Jason? I mean, I I feel like
1: it depends on what you mean by success, like uh, as a replacement for or not a replacement, a substitute for like the real thing. um, I mean, I think it was okay. Like we played a bunch of games. We still had a fun time um even though we weren't all in the same space we got to hang out with our friend uh who lives in california um you know we got to um talk to some like random people (laughs) some
0: of which were were really Uh, cool some of whom were
1: cooler than others exactly um you know we got to talk to some game designers people in the industry you know and and i think on that level in some ways it was it was better than being at the con because trying to speak to people in an environment where there's like thousands of other people and they're all talking and there's this much noise it gets really hard so in some ways it was nice to be able to have like a calm conversation with somebody where you know you're not shouting at each other and, and all this kind of stuff so i think that aspect of it was pretty cool but um i i definitely missed the experience of being there in the convention center seeing all the people seeing all the weird stuff that's going yeah. on around you uh going to the vendors uh booths you know whether they're selling games or dice or apparel or you know knickknacks or whatever um you know go- going to the open playroom and setting up you know on one of those big gaming tables and gaming all night you know it was just sort of weird to turn off my computer at like 10 p.m <laughs> and say okay well bedtime yep. like, yep. you know um, that stuff I just couldn't possibly compare, but I think for you know what they were attempting to do,
0: I think it was as as fun as we could have expected. I think that's true for the events, right like like being able to have some events that yeah. were coordinated for us that we could do with our friends and have some fun playing those events that was a good substitute for the events that we would have done at Gen con um the other substitutes that they came up with though I feel like were failures the. The, oh yeah, the Looking the Glass shop, and the Game so. Shop were complete failures in my opinion. Um, the Game Shop had initially on on day one like fifty five games in it. I think none of which seemed to be Gen Con deals at all. Right, like they weren't discounted from what you would get at MSRP. They didn't have any sort of like you know like pack ins or anything like that. And the selection was just like fifty five games. That's like one shelf at the Cool Mini or not, not Cool Mini or not. That's like <laughs> one shelf at the uh, the Cool Stuff Ink Booth, right? That you walk through. Um yeah, yeah. it's it's just like you know you're used to having. Like probably thousands of games to choose from uh on mm-hmm. the show floor uh and there's a sense of discovery as you walk around and you see that stuff and that completely that was completely lacking within the game store uh that they put up eventually, they got up to like you know over a hundred games available, but by that time like it just still mm-hmm. it still doesn't compare you know like it's just still such a small number of games and It still had the issue of, like, very few of them by the end of the weekend had started doing any sort of, like, special Gen Con stuff. Like, you know, a bundle or a deal or anything like that. Um, And a lot of them were games that have been out for a long time and that you could just, like, you know, drive down to Target and get. Um, I will say it was much kinder on my wallet. That's true. It it was. (laughs) Um, You know, although I've already put an order in for Endeavor, um, I ended up buying an RPG book because they were on sale and and I want to run a weird RPG for us at some point. Um, So, you know, I spent a little bit of money, but still probably, you know, like, way less than half of what we normally spend on games. Oh, yeah, for yeah, sure. Um, and, you know, the other part of that is the discovery, right? There's just There was just no discoverability. Like, other than, like, you know, if something showed up on the game shop, and even that wasn't very great. Because, like, I couldn't talk to the person selling it and say, hey, what's the deal with this, right? Um, right the yeah. other The other thing they had available to us was the looking glass, which was, like, supposed to be the replacement for the show floor, the expo hall. And, and what it was was it was just, like, a graphic with, you know, hundreds of little icons on, on it for the different game vendors and exhibitors that were supposed to be at Gen Con, and they were sized, uh like, in relation to the amount of money they had spent on their booth. So if you were, like, you know, Fantasy Flight, who had spent, I assume, like, you know, like... Uh, an order of magnitude more than you know like some small indie developer, then your icon is, yeah. you know, like taking up way more like, you know, it's taking up like like four times as much space as theirs, or maybe even more, or something like that. Um but then when you click on those icons, all you get is like a couple of links. It might link to the vendor's uh, uh homepage. Like website. It might link to a video <laughs> on YouTube. Like there was no there was no rhyme or reason to how that thing worked. And I never Using it, I never found any deals or anything that I was interested in. Like, it never led to me finding anything of value, right? Um, the thing that yeah. led to the most value was, like, a completely separate website that had a list of, like, you know, deals going on for Gen Con and everything. And then just managing to, like, you know, like, we asked within um, Burnt Island Games' Discord if, like, they were running any deals. Stuff like that, right? That was how we discovered things. And even that didn't lead to much, Right. So yeah. I, I feel yeah. like those two things uh, definitely did not do a good job of replacing what the actual convention hall does. And and maybe there's better ways to do that, but it didn't feel like it didn't feel like there was anything to be excited about as far as a consumer goes at this show like there is at the actual Gen Con. Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, I'll,
1: I, nothing beats that feeling of sort of. Walking around the hall and seeing something catch yeah. your eye, and like going to talk to right. somebody about it, and maybe yeah. buying it—like all the discovery here happened at the um, at the demos that we planned to, right? Be Which at. means, and and that's fine. Like that happens a lot too,
0: but but that means we were already interested not in those as, games, uh, you know? like, yeah, exactly. Like that's not a game that we didn't <laughs> yeah. know about. We always end up seeing some stuff that we've never heard of at Gen Con, and we always take some interest yep. in it. And even if we don't buy those games, we're at least going to stand there and talk to some people. And oftentimes, we end up buying some of those games, right? Yeah. Among other things, right? Like one time I bought a doublet. <laughs> they almost convinced
1: me to buy an $80 top hat. Last Not buying year. it was a mistake.
0: You'd be, you'd I know, be a, I kind of feel yeah, like Yeah, you'd was. be a better man if you owned that top hat.
1: <laughs> I could be wearing you it right now. whenever you want. <laughs> I feel so fancy.
0: <laughs> oh, so anyway, everybody, that is Gen Con 2020. Did you have anything else you wanted to talk about or say regarding the show, Jason? uh
1: no i mean the only other thing that was of any significance to me this weekend was it was spending a lot of time sitting in my desk yeah I, yeah and you uh, get to walk around a lot more kind of wreaked havoc around. on my <laughs> body
0: yeah so you know f the coronavirus uh hopefully it's completely gone uh early 2021 let's hope fingers crossed vaccines come out and are effective oh, and everything uh because we really really want to get back to the convention hall next year <laughs> I know we missed yeah, you. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of our main thing every year and, and this year was kinda of sad. Um so in some ways a success, in some ways not. Um but ultimately we still had fun because those events were fun and, and hanging out with your friends is fun yeah. even if it's just online. So um but anyway. Sure. Oh, oh you know what? I was gonna ask you, top three. You you mentioned the top three earlier. Do you know what it is? Could you do it? Could you do a rundown? My top three games. Uh, that we
1: played at Oh yeah. Oh yeah, I mentioned them the other like the other day when we were talking uh-huh. about it. So okay, so I think number one for me was Endeavor. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two was Zulkin. Uh
0: huh. And number and number three was uh, On the Origin of Species. Our I think. lists are so similar. Mine is Endeavor, Zulkin, and then Under Falling Skies. So very oh, yeah, very yeah. similar. And you know, Fort. I feel like Fort's some sort of like thing where like I feel like that should be higher, but I just I was so I was yeah. so like sort of like impressed with the original what what the other three games had to to represent, like, it was original, right? Like, the, I don't know, like something about 4 just felt like other mechanics that we'd played in other games just done in a really neat package, you know? Um, it, yeah, It's a really yeah. good package. I mean, I liked it.
1: Yeah. I I did. I liked the game. It's just, it wasn't
0: something that sort of... Yeah, popped, it didn't make the impression you know, that me. the other three did for me. So, yeah, just for yeah. some reason. Um, But I, I still feel like that would be a really good purchase for somebody that wants to spend a little money on a really good game. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> All right, well, hey. um, maybe we'll get back to doing other recordings sometime. What do you think? <laughs> I mean, maybe if this ever ends and <laughs> we can play some more. Games. Yeah, we've talked about maybe doing some other stuff to try to get more recordings out, maybe doing some tabletop simulator stuff more often, and then being able to talk about that. Um, like, you know, we have we played... Escape the Dark Castle through Tabletop Simulator, and, you know, sure, you know we, we, we could do more of that. Yeah. So we might end up getting back to a regular recording schedule, but we're definitely not doing anything, uh, we're not definitely going to be doing the every week recordings that we were doing uh, up until March, so uh, we'll, we'll maybe, like, send some some messages out on social media to let people know what to look for in the future, um, but we've still got some talking to do about what to do about, you know, a regular schedule again, so, uh, but eventually, yeah. we'll be back to it. And until then, you can enjoy this extra so, long Gen con and I, episode and I know you're all waiting with right me exactly breath. yeah So anyway, um, if people would like to email us and and tell us you know what they liked about the Gen con online or you know what they're looking forward to about next year's Gen Con, hopefully not online, how would they do so, Jason?
1: Uh, let's see if I can remember this. So <laughs> if you want to email us, it's limited no, it's podcast at limitedplaytime.com. Uh you can go to the website limitedplaytime.com. dot com. You can uh tweet us at limited playtime or go to Instagram on limited playtime podcast. I think that's correct. I sure hope so.
0: Anyway, everybody, I hope so, thanks too. for listening. Hope you had a good Gen Con if you attended online. Uh, and if not, I hope you had a, a decent time listening to us talk about it, and maybe it'll entice you to uh, join us for a real Gen Con next year. So anyway, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you sometime Later. in the future. Bye.